Praise God. Well, I, I have this morning just a, a simple message which I believe God has put into my spirit to share with you in the form of encouragement. I, I, I know that I need encouraging. I know that there are times, there are seasons that we go through when maybe just the busyness of life, the, the, the anxieties that can come through, through pressures at work, pressures at home, financial pressures, relationship pressures, and, and we need encouraging. We need to be lifted up. We need our eyes to be focused upon God and who he is. And as, as that beautiful song that we just heard says, he is Lord of all. And this morning, I want to follow on that theme for just a little while and talk about how that God is Lord of all. What does that mean? How does that affect you and I today? In a, in a cosmic sense, perhaps we can, we can visualize or somehow just grasp that, that God, is, God is our creator. And God is, is the supreme being. That there is none that come before him. There is none above him. There is none that he answers to. Thank you. My throat is getting ready for the Indian. (laughs) Just got to line it a little bit. (coughs) My, I'm looking forward to that. If you can smell it, by the way. It isn't because I had an Indian last night and my breath is smelling. But uh, the caterers are here and you might just catch a waft or two. Just, I'm sorry if you're not coming to the lunch, by the way. <laughs> Maybe you should run out quickly and uh, try and catch Gion. It's going to be a great time. But maybe when we think about God as Lord of all, we can grasp something of his infinite greatness. Uh, And how do we do that? Because infinite means bigger than we can imagine. But but often when we think of God, we we acknowledge him as, as a huge, incomparably great being that's in charge of everything, globally, universally, and in a cosmic sense. But what does that mean for you and I today? What does it actually mean that God is Lord of all? The word Lord very simply means master. He's in charge. And so when we, when we sing and we worship God and Jesus and we call him Lord, we are acknowledging him as our boss. But not just the boss we work for, as our master. As the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is number one in our life. That's what Lord means. And when we think about him as being Lord of all, if we say to Jesus, Jesus, you are Lord of all, that means that we are placing him, we are choosing to place Jesus as the most important person 
in our entire life. That we will listen to him. We will seek his will. We will desire to please him. We will serve him with every part of our being. Because he is Lord of our lives. It's a concept that sometimes we struggle with. Sometimes we understand what it means for Jesus to be our savior. Because we recognize that we need to be saved from the power of sin. From our own sin. But as much as Jesus needs to be our savior. So he needs to be our Lord. He needs to be the one to whom we give our whole life. And as a matter of fact, whether we know it or not, that's what happens when we become a Christian. We sometimes use this phrase, so-and-so gave their life to Jesus. And that is actually what becoming a Christian is. It isn't just gaining access to heaven It isn't just getting rid of our sin. It isn't getting God off our back. It's actually giving our whole life over to Jesus. We we experience new ownership of our lives. And sometimes the struggles that we have as Christians come from this, this very fact that we don't live As if we have given our whole life to the Lord. We we want him to be our savior. We want him to be our friend. Yeah, we think, good idea, getting God on your side. Me and God, we're best pals. And the Bible does talk about one who's like a friend that sticks closer than a brother even. But there is also a sense That in our lives, we need to know the lordship of Jesus Christ. That we have given our all to him. And it's when we don't acknowledge that, when we fight against that, that very often we experience many, many trials. When we, we want to hold on to certain parts of our lives. And that might be our, our home life. It may be that we're very good at putting on a facade in front of people. But when we get home and we shut that door and we turn the key, I'm going to be who I really am. And, and we find that our whole life becomes open to, to the temptations of the evil one. It might be that we try to keep God out of our finances. We try to keep God out of our, our career, our jobs. God, I'll come to church service on a Sunday. I'll, I'll pay my dues, I'll bring my 10%, I can tick that box. But as far as what I do with my career, I'm going to choose that. Because I've looked at certain people who have given their lives to you, and you've kind of jumped in and taken over. You've, you've changed the path of their lives. And those that perhaps had big dreams for, for prosperity and riches and wealth... It seems like, Lord God, well, I can't call you Lord, can I? But it seems like, God, that you changed their, their vision for this. And, and so I want to keep hold of my career. And, and maybe it's education. Whatever it is, 
When God's not involved in it, when we keep God out of it, we can't say that he's our Lord. And God doesn't get upset with that. God doesn't say, well, okay, I'm going to strike you with a plague. (laughs) I'm going to cause you to go through financial hardships. I'm going to cause your marriage to be in a terrible place. And then maybe you will make me Lord of your life. No, God's not like that. That's a human way of responding. But when we choose to hold on to parts of our lives, instead of letting God have them, just that very act of keeping God out means that we have severed severed the, the, from the source of all help and power from God. And very often we are on our own. And very often those areas of our life go wrong. Because God is mean, because God has, has orchestrated it. No, but because we've kept God out. And, and the very first encouragement I want to give you to, to you this morning, whatever it is, whatever area of life we're holding on to for ourselves, it's very simple. Let go. Let God have it. Are we so smart that we think we can deal with it better than God? I remember many years ago, I was, I was on a pathway. We, were, we had started our own business, and it was going extremely successful. And it was creating a nice income for us. We were able to enjoy wonderful things that this world can offer in the way of comforts. And we were enjoying ourselves. We were busy. We had a lot of pressures. We had a lot of challenges that came with that but we had one thing intact and that was our finances and then God said give the business away yeah in other words let me become Lord of your finances and we had to say goodbye to a lot of those creature comforts because God wanted to come in And God wanted to be Lord. But I tell you what, when we said goodbye to our business, and we said goodbye to the fact that we were holding on to our financial well-being, we also said goodbye to a whole lot of worry and anxiety. It's amazing. It's amazing in the terms of finances. The more you strive for, And the more you get, I never thought this was true, but it is, the more you have to have. And and, and it's like like an energy that's self-perpetuating. It feeds itself. You would think that you would reach a limit where you think, okay, that's enough. I'm fine now. But But it doesn't. It just goes on. And I believe it's, it's a principle that's true not just about finances, but about anything that we choose to stay in control of and not surrender and yield to God. And this morning I want to talk about just two simple things here. Two simple stories that we're going to look at in God's word as well to help us to illustrate this. As we look at Jesus being the Lord of all. All of us. 
Here's our key Bible quote for today. It's taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. I hope you were able to receive the uh, sermon notes as you came in. If you didn't, please wave at us right now, and we'll make sure that uh, one of those gets put into your hand. He says in faith. Somebody will, will find them for us. <laughs> Praise God. So 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6 says this. Yet for us, there is but one God. That's the Father, from whom all things come and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Paul is writing here to Christians that were young Christians in in what we would call the early church, the the, the very first Christians. And, And if you get opportunity, please read the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. And he has some really, really practical things to talk to us about today. Human nature doesn't change. It, it's, it, it's the same today as it was <clears throat> back when Adam and Eve were created. And the Bible addresses the issues of human nature. And in this passage of God's word, Paul is trying to emphasize... And draw the people's attention to the fact that although there are many false gods in the world, idols, things that people make as idols, and an idol is not just something uh, like a graven image that you place in front of you and you bow down to, an idol is anything that we exalt to where we put it in our life, in the place where Jesus should be. And and the world is full of false gods. Some of them are graven images. Some of them are things that man has made. Some of them are, are elements of nature. Some of them are people. Some of them are work. Some of them are finances. And so the list goes on. And Paul says, look, the world is is full of false gods. They're all around us. But for us, who? Followers of Jesus Christ. We must remember that there is just one God. And that is our Father. It It is from him and for him that all things come. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ. It is through him all things come. Sorry, and through him we live. In other words, in other words, friends, even today, perhaps even more so today, but in very subtle ways, there are millions of things that we can turn to for our provision, for our sustaining, for our needs. And it can seem as though they will meet those needs. We can turn to people. We become uh, codependent on people. We need their affirmation. We need their acceptance. We need their attention. And when we haven't got it, we are lost. That's an idol. That's a God. Sorry, you're not a a God. 
that becomes a, a God in our lives. And Paul says, with all of these things that are going on around us, as followers of Jesus, we must remember that there is but one God, our Father. There is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through and by whom all things come to us. Now, there are two times when we need to make sure that we are placing God as the Lord of all. The first one is in good times. And the second one is in not so good times. In other words, all the time. But I want to mention these two things because I feel that there are traps. There are pits that we fall into so easily sometimes. And we become ensnared and the enemy is able to come in and wreak havoc in our lives. Why do we need to make sure that we have God as the Lord of all in good times? Very simply, because we become self-sufficient. We don't need God. If you're in perfect health today, you may have this subconscious feeling. You don't need to know God as your healing, Jehovah Rapha. But yes, you do. You may be in a, in a very comfortable financial situation. You may have millions of dollars in your bank account. Congratulations. Praise God. But you still need to know Jehovah Jireh. God, your provider. Because it is when we become self-sufficient that we feel we don't need God. And we start to lose sight of the fact that everything that we have is given by God. The very air we breathe. Okay, it comes through chemical reactions of some, some sort. But God is the instigator. The Bible says that he formed man out of the dust of the earth. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Even the air we breathe, as polluted as it is in this wonderful city, is a gift of God. And we need to make sure that, especially as followers of Jesus, that we are constantly reminding ourselves that if it was not for God, we would not have any of these things. And, and the Bible tells us of a time in the history of Israel. You can read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And God is speaking to his people as he has done for many, many years about a, a land of promise. A land called Canaan that God was going to give to his people as their inheritance. And at this stage, they're, they're not far from from. Inheriting it from obtaining it. And it's as though God says, okay, guys, sit down. I want to tell you something really important. You've got this land that you're going into. It flows with milk and honey. It is incredibly rich in resources. You will never, ever, ever lack in this land. And when you get there and you have inherited it, and you've claimed it as your own. And you've begun to build your houses. And you've got these beautiful mansions. 
And, and you've begun to plant your crops and they are growing because my, are they going to grow. Do you remember when the spies went into that land? They came back with huge amounts of produce. The land didn't suddenly change when the Jews took hold of it. Those crops were bumper crops. He says, when, when you start to breed your herds in this land, and instead of having two or three calves a year, your cows have half a dozen. That's not in the Bible, by the way. That's just an illustration. To say this, it's a land of plenty. He says, when you start to prosper, when you start to see these things happen in your life, don't forget that I'm the one that gave them to you. Don't think to yourself, look what we have made and produced and earned by the work of our hands. God says, I am the one who causes you to prosper. And my friends, it is so important that in good times, what is, what is a good time? When things are going well. Remember that God has blessed you so richly. So many times we, we become self-supportive. We lose sight of the fact that God is in control. And if God was to shut things down, we would be totally lost. And our eyes come off of God. They look to ourselves we start to think and plan what we want to do for our own future, our own dreams, our own desires. We, we subconsciously think, look what I can do. I just have to turn my hand to it and it seems as though God blesses it. It's a trap, my friends. To think that we can do it without God is like walking Full long straight into this trap. And when circumstances change. We suddenly discover. That we cannot do it ourselves. I pray. I pray. I pray that God would help us. As we're going through life. At, as we're going through good times. That we're constantly acknowledging. That God is Lord of all. Thank you, Father. That's why when we have our food, we, we give God thanks for it. We acknowledge that he's the giver of it. Every day I thank God for my health. I thank God for his provision. I thank God for his angels that protect me. I thank God for watching over my life, my family, everything. I know how pathetically useless I am at trying to take care of those things without God. I don't want to set myself up and find myself one day in this trap thinking, I can't do it. Because I want my eyes to be set on him all the time. Some verses there out of Deuteronomy chapter 8 for you to read. The second thing as we come to a close this morning is we must always remember that God is Lord of Lords even when... Things don't seem so good. I know there have been times through my life where I've hit a difficult time 
And, and like David, I've said, God, where are you? It really doesn't seem like you're around at the moment. Read some of the Psalms if you don't think God, uh, David speaks that way. God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? He says in Psalm 22, we like Psalm 23. Psalm 22 says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? Why have you turned your face on me? Has God done that? Has God forsaken him? No. He, he says in, in Psalm 73, he says, to be honest, God, following you is hard work. I look at all the heathen people and they don't have to fight for their health or their wealth. It seems like everything they do turns to gold. But me, I have to fight like crazy just to stay well. And what's that all about? Where are you, God? John Harris paraphrased. Where are you? And it says in Psalm 73 that David says, I almost slipped off the cliff. I almost lost that sense of where God is until I went into the sanctuary. And I realized that those who seem to be so well off actually have a very definitely horrendous end. Their end is only death. It's in that place of sanctuary where things come into perspective. And when we live outside of that and we keep relying on our own abilities and strengths, we find that we come short every single time. But when we can turn to God, when we can look into his face and say, God, you are my strength. My friends, the Psalms is not just nice poetry. When David said that, he meant it because he in himself was as weak as water. Or water. <laughs> and he needed to know that God was his strength. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. Trips off the tongue really nice in English anyhow. But what does it mean? It means your name, oh God, just your name speaks to me of safety and security. A place where I am free from the onslaught of the enemy when I, when I hide under the shadow of your wings and the, shad, and the shelter of the Almighty. David knew what it was to, to have the Lord as his Lord of all. He would cry out in the nighttime, I'm searching for you. When I lay on my bed, I, I'm thinking, I'm meditating about you. So many times we don't rest well at night because our minds can't shut down because we're worried, we're anxious. How am I going to sort this problem out at work? Where is the, the money going to come from to pay the bill? How am I going to make my next million dollars? And so on and so forth. You'd be surprised what people worry about. I've only got $10 million left. Not one dollars. Most of us think that's not something to worry about. But when your eyes are on you and not God, 
it becomes a worry because you don't have the security and the safety and the knowledge that God is Lord of all. And when you know that Lord is, God is Lord of all, you can be like the Apostle Paul. He said, I've been through some interesting times. Uh, I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been homeless. I've been nights where nowhere to sleep. I, I've, I've known what it's like to have no clothes to wear. I've been imprisoned. I've been persecuted. He said, on the other hand, there's been times when I've had so much, I don't know what to do with it. I've, it's abounded. But he says, I've learned this, to be content knowing Jesus is Lord of all. You see, when, you've, when he is on the throne of your life, and not just on a Sunday morning when we you know, sing, we worship God, we say, Jesus, be enthroned, so good to be here. It needs to be that way on a Tuesday morning. When you're walking into the office or the classroom and you don't know how to sort the problems out. That you walk in there knowing that Jesus is Lord of all. It needs to be that, that same sense of security. When, when your car has just blown up and you don't know how you're going to afford to buy a new one. When your wife has just walked out of the door and slammed it behind her. And there's that deathly silence in the apartment. It needs to be that way when the kids are just running riots. And they're growing up and, and, and they're saying to you, I hate you. And I hate church. And I hate God. My goodness, if, if, if we're relying on our own abilities at that moment, a whole world just disappears. But when Jesus Christ is Lord and he's Lord of all, and we fall to our knees and we say, God, it feels like my world is falling apart around me. It feels like it's emptying. It feels like it's void of anything of any value. But this one thing I know, that you still reign supreme, that you are still my Lord, that you are still in control. And when you start to do that, my friends, when you start to acknowledge Jesus Christ in that way, it's amazing how your heart is strengthened and you speak truth to yourself. When you remind yourself of who he is and what he is to you. It isn't that the circumstance necessarily changes in a moment, but the way you view it changes. Your problems might seem like Mount Everest, but my God created Mount Everest. Your problems may seem bigger than anything that you've ever known. But they're not too big for God. If we will make him Lord of all. When? In the good times and the not so good ones. And you know my friend when we see him as that. When we acknowledge him as our Lord. That's when we start to see and experience the truth of the promises of his word. David said I would have lost heart. Unless I had seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. How did he see it? Did it just suddenly appear to him? No, my friend, he cried out for it. He needed it. 
He was desperate for it. Because he wanted God to be the Lord of everything to him. I pray that would be our experience this morning. Amen. Let's just pray, Father God. We thank you that as we consider these words, we know that the truth is that you are Lord. You are Lord of all. It's easy for us to say that right here and right now today, God, because we're surrounded by an environment that's so heavenly and glorious. We've worshipped you. We've read your word. But Father, I pray that each one of us would know this to be the truth in the middle of our crises, at those moments of great darkness. But at the same time, Lord, when everything seems to be going well and we can run into the danger of being self-sufficient, remind us, like you reminded the people of Israel, that you are the God that makes provision. Father, we sometimes say that we have given you our life. That's what we do right now. I just want to encourage you. If you know that there have been areas of your life that you have kept to yourself. I want to encourage you to surrender them to God right now. Is God going to take it all away from me and leave me destitute and no friends? No. No, but your dependency and your reliance will not be on them, but on him. Praise God. Before we close this morning, just want to give opportunity to pray for people if you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, you remember that we baptized four people. So beautiful. One of those young men, Thomas, uh, sorry, Jacob, just the week before, he came and he said, Pastor, can you pray with me? I said, sure, what do you want? He said, I want to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, you can do that right now. You can take that very first step back to your God. Maybe you've never done that before, but maybe you have, but you have just lived so far away from him. And you're saying, I want to come back. I want to come home. I want to recommit my life to God. Then if that's you this morning, just pray this prayer after me. Say, Father God, thank you for your love. Your great love. Your endless love. Thank you for sending Jesus. And that he died for my sin. That he may be my savior. And that I can make him my Lord. God, I do that right now. I repent of my sin. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your Holy Spirit. And I give my life to you. Beautiful.